Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Preacher Boys podcast. My name is, of course, Eric Skorzynski, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, as you saw in the title, I'm sitting down with J.C. Groves, one of the hosts of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Now, before we get into the episode, I have to give you a quick disclaimer. This episode was filmed across a couple days uh, in like four different locations, and uh, we had literally everything that could possibly go wrong go wrong. We filmed over at the New York, New York Hotel uh, on the Friday before Idea Day started. Uh, We got kicked out to the curb. We got to the curb, and then the security guard kicked us from the curb to the side of the road. We recorded the rest of our interview there. And then we found out that Nathan, one of the other hosts on the Covering Fundamentalist who was recording, uh, lost the audio for me. So we only had audio for JC. So then we met up again. We recorded in a a room together at Idea Day, literally in one of the kids' rooms, like one of the break-off rooms at the church. I recorded the episode and there was a ton of audio problems. So I had to go in tonight, do a bunch of patching. I had to fix it up as best as I could. The content is fantastic, but there are a couple spots where the audio drops in and out, things like that. But I've done everything I can to save it and make it sound as good as possible. And the location does change in the middle of the video if you're watching on YouTube. So it's a little bit interesting. Just know we literally took so many hours putting this single episode together. Uh, so I really hope you appreciate it. Now, I just want to say two more things. This kind of leans into the support side of the show. Um, I really appreciate all the people that have jumped on Patreon just in the last week. Uh, this show does take a lot of time. I mean, it it takes a ton of time to produce this show. Uh, talking with people, uh, dealing with people offline. I mean, there's tons of stuff that goes on behind the scenes, a ton of books that I'm ordering uh, constantly. I mean, luckily, publishers are very gracious and send a lot of free copies, but I'm also doing a lot of research on my own. It it, it adds up really quickly, uh, not to mention the time I'm taking away from my family. So I do appreciate everyone who's jumped on a Patreon. If you haven't and you're considering supporting the show, just head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and you can find out how to there. And then if you want to do something that kind of gets you some cool merch, uh, just head over. I have a link in the description to my T Public link. I've got cool shirts like this right here. And actually, you can get some shirts just like this through Patreon as part of uh, my new Patreon tier. Uh, you'll actually get some merchandise sent out to you literally every three months. And it helps the show, helps you represent the show, and gets the message out to more people. The show has just blown up lately, and I'm really excited about where it's going to go. So, Without further ado, here's the episode with J.C. Groves. I'm so sorry for some of the location changes, but trust me, we did everything we could to get this episode to you. Without further ado, here we go. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. 
You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm so excited to finally be recording an interview with J.C. Groves. Uh, We've been trying to get this uh, set up for about uh, two hours now, so... (laughs) We're good. But uh, yeah, welcome. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, man. It is so cool to be sitting in New York, New York Hotel in Vegas, looking at your face in person, not on Zoom. Yeah, it's pretty weird. So yeah, we started our shows about the same time period. And um, yeah, it's it's been really bizarre. Like I, I remember at the end of December, I saw the Recovering Fundamentals get announced yeah. like two days before I started recording my first episode. And my first thought was crap. Yeah. Someone else is saying the exact same thing. And uh, yeah, it was really bizarre. And I want to get into what motivated us all to kind of start at the same time. But yeah. first, for people who are listening, can you just give a quick bio? Like what what's the genesis of JC Groves? Like what's your earliest memory of the IFB world? Man. So my papa, Charlie Sturgill, uh, traveled. Uh, he was a pastor for well over 40 years and uh, grown up with him uh, just a very different form of legalism. And so even as a young kid, uh, realizing that this is something that is actually prevalent and even noticing it when I was a kid, just just the, the inner workings of a church, if you will. And then uh, he would always take me down to camp meetings at, you know, Faith Baptist Bible Camp and things like that. And just seeing Papa one way in the pulpit, a different way out of the pulpit, um, but noticing just how he, watching him uh, growing up, how he uh, had to live through being a pastor in a church that was very legalistic. And uh, I think as I got older, you know, just watching those those tendencies in my own life and just being around it, traveling Southern gospel, uh, singing that, uh, you know, seeing a whole different side of it. I can't really take you back to a particular time when I was like, man, this is, this is rough. You know, it just was kind of the nature of everything around us, if that makes sense. Like your, your family roots are like Presbyterian originally, like prior to you arriving yeah. on the scene, that was kind of the, the realm that they were yeah, in. Yeah, so my dad's side of the family, uh, oddly enough, was Presbyterian. They're still Presbyterian. All of our family on my dad's side is Cumberland Presbyterian. JC stands for John Calvin. So, I mean, it's it's in us. Like, it's <laughs> my mom's side has a little Jew in her, and I'm John Calvin, so I'm predestined and chosen. I'm going. Like, <laughs> um, But then my mom's side is where my papa, you know, was super, super IFB, um, Greenville, South Carolina. He was at Southside Baptist Church there, um, went to Horace, uh, Illinois, pastored there, was in Virginia in the, in the uh, what is that, Pound, Wise, Virginia area. And so that was a very, um, uh, my dad kind of came over to that side when they started dating. And that's when he kind of drunk the Kool-Aid, if you will, um, in the IFB world, going to Heritage Bible School um, there in Indiana, um, you know, being a part of that, it it kind of 
I, we say he grew up Presbyterian. He drank the Kool-Aid, but he always had his, his, his wonderings. Is this right? But dad, he jumped in head first in the IFB world. Did you have a lot of conversations about what prompted that switch? Like what, what takes you from this extreme to another? I haven't. Um, I've asked him a few questions on and off. My, my, my relationship with my dad, um, has been on and off for a while. Um, we're at a good place right now, but you know, the, the podcast, I think in the beginning stages was, was, uh, was hurtful in certain ways because there was conversations we're having on here that, uh, we necessarily had never had. And I tell you the, the podcast has actually opened up doors for me and my dad to have conversations. We went to breakfast a few months ago for the first time and I don't know how long and just had conversations around this. And, you know, realizing that dad wasn't as legalistic as I thought he was, but a lot of the tendencies were because of the nature of being in it and being so gung ho in it that he had to keep up with everything that was going on around him. And almost in a way, Eric, it, it sucks you in and there's like a, you can't get out of it. And before you know it, you're doing things that you wouldn't necessarily say or preach or believe because it's what the brethren are doing and those that are around you. And that's, I think that's the nature of the beast that dad got caught in. So I know you grew up kind of hardcore in that world. Um, Would you say your initial reactions and and interactions were positive in that world? You know, I look back at it, Eric, and to be honest with you, we we just interviewed a guy that, that talked about, he was happy that he grew up IFB. I look back and honestly, I love that I grew up in this heritage in certain ways. The legalistic side of it, I hate, I can't stand. It makes me want to throw up. And I, I just, when I think about it, I'm like, it, it almost makes me angry that some people still drink this Kool-Aid and believe this stuff. But man, I grew up going to Awana, you know, I look back at it now and I'm like, it's, it, it was a little cheese ball and it was, you know, very, Baptisty, but my gosh, I got a foundation of scripture. Like I went back from Cubbies to Sparks to Pals to Pioneers and memorizing verses, and then went back and memorized all of them. But even in that, there was still an awards-based system. And so memorizing verses to get the Timothy Award, I memorized scripture to get awards. And while I loved Juana, while I loved the idea of learning scripture, it was still very Baptist because it was for an award. I memorized verses to get little marks put on my chest, literally. Um, I, I memorized verses to go to camp. And so I think in my mind, it put me in this performance-based mentality of, I've got to memorize verses so I can get a pat on the back, or I've got to have the more bars on my chest because they would put these little bars with diamonds in it if you did it. And I prided myself of showing up and having six bars on my chest. And I'm like, suck it, little kids. You know, I memorized more verses. I was I'm more Christian, the more stripes and patches that I have. And so at an early age in the IFB world in Indiana, it, it put me in that performance based mentality that just carried on throughout my life. It's funny you say that because when I was first kind of navigating out of it. And I was still kind of somewhat in that world. You know, I was, I was in the mission space of it. Um, I actually was on a podcast called the ministry connection podcast. I don't know if they like the plug on this show, but, but um, you know, really good guy. And like, I came on still part of that world, kind of one leg in, and I was talking about the bus ministry and yeah. he brought me on because I wrote a blog post that kind of got some traction. And that was one of the things I said is that I think the way, you know, I, I think there's a fine line here. I think you can be overly judgmental of certain things, but sure. 
but I, I think the way that we treat kids in church teaches them that everything's an award-based system. So you treat them to come to church for a prize. You treat, treat them to love the Bible because it gets them something. Yeah. And it does, it kind of establishes this kind of reward mentality, you know, moving in. And so everything we had growing up, if it was vacation Bible school, it's boys versus girls who can give the most quarters and you could buy a brick for $5 in the scale. And who could bring the most visitors um, who could memorize the most verses who could get the most friends on the bus uh, with bus ministry. You know, my mom and dad were bus captains at Thompson road Baptist church in Indiana. And it was all competition. And I think from the earliest stages, I remember, I don't have like this, like, entry into independent fundamental Baptist legalism, like hardcore. It was small things like that, that I look back and I'm like, my gosh, from the earliest times that I can remember as a cubby, which would have been what, five, six years old, it was performance, you know, say verses to get pats on the back. And I was the, I was considered, I traveled around with you and I'm not trying to throw a wanna under the bus. I mean, I love what, what they did, but I traveled around with Frank Hobart, who was the missionary for the Southeast. If you will, he said, this is the cream of the crop in Awana because I've memorized all the verses. I went back to the beginning of the book and memorized it on as a first kid in Tennessee to get a Timothy award kind of thing. And so it was still like, yeah, I memorized the verses, but I don't have a lot of those verses memorized still. I recall them, but you see what I'm saying? It was, it was all done to get an award and I've got a box full of Awana trophies sitting in my garage right now. Yeah. As, I mean, you were kind of, I mean, you mentioned like obviously all the accolades and things, but like, even with your heritage, like you were kind of the ideal preacher boy. Like you were, you were literally like, you're the preacher's kid. You're, you're diving into, yeah. you know, you're winning these awards. You're memorizing scripture. You're like, you're the poster child for this. And so I have to wonder with that background, did you ever have any path ever in front of you aside from going to ministry oh, and yeah. pursuing that route? Yeah. Uh, baseball was a big world that I lived in. Baseball in a way was kind of my outlet for ministry because I didn't tell those guys that I was a Christian. I didn't live it out. Um, I played travel ball. And so, you know, I, that was the one place where I felt like I could gain the most approval from my dad, which I strive for a lot and I couldn't get it necessarily in certain other areas. And so to play baseball, you know, and then I sang, I was a singer. And so I, I, I was trying to find any Avenue I could to gain. It sounds crazy, but to gain my dad's approval. And so I could play baseball and I did that. But then singing was another area that I thought this is how I never thought I'd be a pastor. Like I never thought for the life of me, I could do that. But even, even with singing, it became so uh, performance based. That's why, I mean, I shared this in my testimony on one of the earlier episodes of the Recovering Fundamentalist. Like, looking back at singing, I have a hard time doing that now because it was so about me and it wasn't like honor to God. And I look at the singing route. I mean, I had a record deal at 16, you know, Southern Gospel, but it was still, it was still in that church world. And I did that all the way up until early 2000s, you know, traveling with groups um, and singing. But I thought baseball was going to be my out there. Like I had dreams of making those majors like everybody does, went to college and played baseball and then just realized I was miserable and I actually was sucked and I was never going to go past, you know, college ball and barely that. And so when baseball kind of came to an end, everything kind of came crashing down at one point. I was engaged to be married 10 days before my wedding. I got dumped literally at the altar. Um, 
baseball. I blew my shoulder out and I was like, I'm not even going to worry about having all the surgeries that I need to have to get back to rehab and all this. I'm never playing after this. And so all these outlets were done. And I really found myself at this place of just like the end of my road, to be honest. I had done everything that I could do to build JC up. Um, and fun fact, I mean, 15 days before I was supposed to get married, I gave my life to Jesus for real. Um, I had been shoved under communion tables when I was seven and said, hey, all these boys just got saved. And I'd lived on that for my whole life. And a guy telling me, you're a Christian. And I had no idea what I did on that day. I just knew I didn't want to go to the hot place because that's what they talked about. And I lived that. And at 22, I found myself at the end of everything. And I was like, what is my life right now? Who am I? What is, what is happening? And so I jumped in head, like I gave my life to Jesus. I said, Hey, I'm taking my hands off the steering wheel. I'm going to let you lead it. And my gosh, the journey from 22 to 38 has been just eye-opening and incredible to see. I kept trying to take my routes to get away from, I didn't realize I was trying to run away from legalism, but not knowing how to do that. And I found myself in a lot of dead ends. That makes sense. What what was the, the kind of pivot point where you were like, okay, I thought I was good. And now you realize like, okay, I didn't even understand this. Like there, what, what was that clarity? Moment? Dude, man, there were so many times in my life from early teenage years through growing up where I was sitting there going, I don't know about this. I don't have a clue if what we're doing is legit. If, if my life that I'm living is worth uh, anything, because I would find myself at certain points, just living in fear, uh, living it with the aspects that I would think the rapture had happened like so many times. And I mean, because I came up with such a place where the rapture, the second coming was something that was thrown in our face so much that it was almost something I was terrified of. And I would remember, you know, couldn't find my mom, couldn't find my dad at 14, 15, 16 years old. I'd be like, crap, the rapture happened. And I would end up calling the church secretary just to hear her say Temple Baptist. I'm like, okay, Rhonda's still there. I mean, the rapture didn't happen. And I lived in fear. But I tell you, Eric, I had a checklist that I checked off all the time. I went to church, check. I sang good today, check. People think I'm a good Christian kid, check, check, check. Um, I'm at a Christian university, Tennessee Temple. I played Jesus in the Chattanooga Passion Play for five years. Eric, you can't get more Christian than playing Jesus. I mean, my initials are JC. Come on, you know. But it was when I got to North Carolina and I was engaged to be married and I was sitting in church. It was, it was, it was a, just a Wednesday night service. And it was just like, I said, JC, I don't know you. And I'm like, no, no, no. Here's my list. God, look at my list. I've done all the stuff. I checked every box. I was the like cream of the crop, perfect kid. If you could imagine that. But I knew in my heart, man, I knew that there was never that surrender. There was never that, like not take you to a time, to a place. I can tell you, I'm not going to hell because of this. None of that. There was in my heart, there was not a surrender of God. Here I am. It was based off what happened when I was seven years old and I literally got shoved up underneath a communion table and told you're going to hell. And I needed to get saved because I didn't want to go to the hot place. I remember getting into the baptism and like, what is this? You know, and that's why even as a dad now with six kids under 11, like I'm terrified. Like, I'm like, okay, my 11 year old, he wanted to get saved two years ago. And I'm like, do you, I mean, I almost put it off for a year because I wanted to make sure he really understood what he was saying. You know what I mean? So I don't think there was ever an aha moment. It was more of a figuring out as I slowly, gradually started questioning and looking at things that I was like, you know what? 
there's more to this life than just the rat race of trying to earn favor with God. I don't live for acceptance. I live from it. And I think learning to live from that acceptance rather than for it is the freeing moment. So, I mean, that kind of starts the the change of mindset. And, and I'm curious too, like, do you feel like the way it was presented in those, you know, in the early twenties, do you feel like, do you feel like you'd ever really heard that clearly before? Like that kind of presentation of the gospel, or do you think it's the first time that you understood it? Like, was it an understanding thing or was it a presentation kind of thing? It's definitely an understanding. I think as I matured and really started, I started realizing that my life was a performance. My life was to earn people's acceptance. And when I started reading the scriptures, like not reading it for what I wanted it to say, but when I started reading the Bible and realizing what grace is and really realizing what mercy is and realizing what judgment is and starting to realize who I am in light of who God is and that my righteousness is filthy, like I am nothing. And when I started reading scripture and realizing that, and it started the conviction for the first time, I, I think that was the thing that had never been there. I knew that there was a lot of good that was being done. I wasn't bad, but I knew that there was more that God wanted to do in my life. And I, w- I had to allow that that to come, if that makes sense. So this is post-Tennessee Temple yeah. that this happened. So, so, no, it's oh, mid. Mid, okay. I was, I was, so how did that affect the rest of your time at Tennessee Temple? Because, <clears throat> I mean, obviously – Tennessee Temple is a little bit looser than some of the colleges sure. I talked about on the show, but but how did that affect like your experience there? Did you feel like I got to get out of this? Did you feel like yes? I spent one more year there, um, and it's funny. I had, I had one of my favorite professors, and name was Doctor Jerry Hall, and uh, he uh, he called me in about four weeks into the next semester because I I stopped for a year while I was living in North Carolina and was married my freshman sophomore year. I was an okay student. Um, I switched from music because I realized that um, music wasn't going to be what I did. And I didn't want to sing opera and I can't play the piano. And they were making me practice piano for six hours a week. The only two classes I filled in college were choir. Why go choir two semesters in a row? And I was like, wow, that thing. Um, I was one of the best singers at school and I failed choir because I just didn't show up. And it was all, I'm JC. I don't need to go to choir practice, you know? Um, but when I came back for my junior year, um, as a few weeks into school, Jerry Hall called me into his office. He said, I see a change in you. He said, your grades are up. You're, you're listening in class. You have a desire to want to learn the scriptures. He said to JC, the first two years with some dude that was funny and set in class and you did school. He said, you really have a desire to learn. And he said, you're getting straight A's, bro. Like, you know, it's, it, there's a, there's a change. All of my professors said that they all sensed that there was something different happening. And I mean, when he make, when he comes in, he makes a change. You know, um, <clears throat> I think honestly, Temple towards the end there, it, it changed. Like they started SBC guys started coming into Southwide, which was there. Um, there was there was newness coming. The conversations changed um, in realizing just the the things that we live for. My freshman and sophomore year were just pointless stupidity, if you if you will. And uh, I spent one more semester there, and then I went on to a different different university. Just to I wanted to grow in my new walk with him, and I felt like it was very surface level what I was getting at Temple. If that makes sense. So I mean, obviously, you pivot from that. You're, you the the growth pattern takes a while. Like you know, obviously, you're you're 
you're working through that. And I, and I mean, the recovering fundamentalist, I mean, that, that name kind of comes out of that, but yeah. I guess what's the, what was kind of the trajectory after getting into ministry? You know, I mean, I mean, I have to imagine some of that stuff was still hard to shirk in the early, you know, the early years of ministry. So like, what were some of the hardest things to kind of transition out of in the early stages of pastoring? Dude, the first, so I, I was in student ministry for the first 11 years and uh, the first church I worked at, I did not think I could work anywhere but an independent fundamental Baptist church. And so I left Temple and went and worked at a independent fundamental Baptist church called Anchor of Hope. And my gosh, it was it was it may be one of the closest things to hell I'm ever going to experience. I was there for two months um, and came in on a Thursday. The pastor had embezzled something like one point five, two million dollars. Um, and everybody quit by Thursday. The pastor, the social pastor, music director, like everybody quit. So here I am. This young guy, 22 years old, I'd been saved a few years now, or about a year and a half now, like legitimately like said yes. I had all the knowledge, just never had the experience or the heart change that happened. So I knew how to do church. I was like, well, we got to do this. So I was teaching youth on Sunday morning, Sunday school, preaching Sunday morning, preaching Sunday night, doing youth groups on Wednesday night. I'm preaching four times a week, leading the choir in certain areas like that. And I was there for about a year and I met my now wife, Kim, uh, and uh, she came in and sang, wore a pair of pants, and there was actually a petition going around that she was not allowed to sing there anymore because she wore those slutty pants in church. And I, I started, like, I think working in an independent fundamental Baptist church was the eye-opening experience for me. If I had an aha moment to look back on, there were kids, we had a Thanksgiving. This is this is like a turning point where I said, I'm done, and I literally quit. Um, we had an event at Thanksgiving. Um, in fact, I think Nathan might've brought a group that we started called young America ministries to this event, um, which was for inner city kids. They weren't necessarily the the cleanest. They they didn't know how to do church. There was a big group of these kids that were there and him started this ministry. Um, you know, he was like, you got to help me with this. We got in there. We brought these kids in. Um, we had three or four other youth groups that showed up, had a band in there. It was awesome. We had two kids get saved that night. The end of the night, we had this one uh, one little metal sign that was over an exit sign. It broke. Well, I took it, threw it in the trash. Didn't think anything about it. Come in on Monday or Sunday for church, and one of the ladies had taken that metal sign, put it on my desk, and said, "We never want those hellions in our church again." And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. If you only knew the crap that these kids live in, like the horrible situation. And they heard about Jesus. Two of them said, yes, I don't know what group they were from. I left that metal sign sitting on my desk. And it said that, no, we never want these aliens in our church again. They didn't care that somebody got saved. They didn't care that all these kids heard about Jesus. They saw a metal sign that did its job. It protected the exit sign. And so I left it there. That was Thanksgiving. Um, it came in. It was the last Sunday of the of the year, and uh, I was I was just done. I was like, I'd rather not be in ministry than to have a mentality of we don't want certain people in our building because it doesn't look like us or feel like us. And uh, so I preached that morning, and then went in there with the uh, the deacons and said, "Hey, I'm done." I said, "This is not a place for outsiders. This is an insider place, and I don't want anything to do with it." And laid my resignation down and left. I actually went to Crackleboro. And uh, worked there for a little bit and got a new job with, uh, I had a pastor and a elder come in and uh, they said, Hey, uh, we want to, we want to hire you as our youth pastor. And I was like, this is great. Let's do it. Um, they said, when? 
They said, right now. I was like, all right. So I went in and put my two weekend at Cracker Barrel. I'd only been there like seven months. And I went down and started working at this new place two weeks to the day that I started. The pastor said, hey, I brought you here for a reason. He said, I'm leaving, taking a church in uh, um, Columbus, Georgia. I need you to do what you did at Anchor Hope here, which was preach on Sunday morning, do youth groups on Sunday night. So we did that for a year and a half. Then the elders were like, do you want to lead this church or do you want to be the youth pastor? I was like, gum, I want to be the youth pastor. I don't like old people. And uh, we uh, we did that. And I said, just let me be part of the process of who we get in here because the church was growing without a pastor. And uh, my wife and I got married. We went on our honeymoon to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And when we left, we weren't even at anybody as pastor. We get home seven days later. We land at seven o'clock on Saturday night. I turn my phone on. It is blowing up. They hired somebody while we were gone. Kind of an under the table kind of thing. It's what it felt like. Come in on the morning. Didn't even know who it was. Walk back and uh, shine my light. You sitting backstage putting out second hands or welcoming people. I'm like, it was a dude that I knew didn't like me. I was like, awesome. This is great. He walks out on stage. First thing he says is, I love Jesus. I love his word. I don't love people. Let's jump into his word. And I was like, this is not going to be good. Uh, fast forward to that. What did you ask me? I forgot. Um, I was asking what's the hardest things to shed from that kind of mentality, the IFB. Yeah. I went into my story and it was, it was, I was going down a road that I didn't want to go down. Um, but I think, I mean, I think you had on one interesting thing that, that comes up a lot. And we, you know, I have people always in my group. I, my wife brings it up like, the way that we treat outsiders, it really is like an exclusive yeah. kind of club. And, and really, I mean, like sitting there, I sometimes I'm like, what, what's the purpose of church as we know, and even, even beyond the IFB world, like even, even evangelical yeah. world, like what is church when we are so strict about who can come? What Dude, that's, that's the biggest thing. Like when this, when this all went down, um, you know, I felt a, like just a, a weirdness in my stomach because it was like, we only want these people that look this way, that sound this way, that know what we're talking about, that will sit on the front row and shout amen. And I always go back even, I mean, this is what, 20, 20 years later, almost. I look back at that Thanksgiving service and those kids that I know, uh, you know, we, we loved on them and, would they feel welcome in this church? And I tell you, I remembered a story that was kind of a a, a moment. We had a kid named John. Uh, he came in. He got saved, actually, in youth groups. And John, back when I was in youth ministry at the beginning, uh, Wicca was something that a lot of the kids, it was the cool thing. They were emo, I guess you could say, you know, back early 2002, and wearing the long trench coats and the hat and the hair in their face. And this kid got saved. And this is right when Indescribable came out, the Chris Tomlin song, shout out, um, when, it, when it came out. And John learned that song. He come walking into church. First time he said he'd ever been in a real church. Come walking at the back door. He has a trench coat on hat on like one of those fedoras his hair was in his face he was like i'm sitting it's like front row he came down sat on the front row with me and i'm up leading the music and he's sitting next to me i go up lead the music and i saw this old crotchety man come walking from the back got to the front row took john's hat off threw it on the pew said don't wear a hat in church i walked off the stage picked his hat up put it on his head looked at the old man i said go sit your old butt down and never talk to a teenager again like right there in church and that dude walked out. He was so embarrassed. Like the whole church is looking at him. John to this day is an atheist. Like he wants nothing to do with church, with God. Um, he's friended me. We're still friends on Facebook. Um, but 
I always go back to that Thanksgiving, to that moment with John. And I'm like, man, it's such an insider focused thing. And honestly, we've interviewed some folks on the Recovering Fundamentalist that has those come. Like they've literally said we would not allow a homosexual to come into my church service. And I'm like, that's where they need to be, you know? And so there's, there's definitely a, a club of you have to look like us and talk like us. And so that's why we start the podcast to expose that stuff. That's why you are doing what you're doing. So. Well, I mean, the, the podcast is interesting because like I, I've mentioned in the last couple episodes I've recorded, you know, there's people who leave situations like that, that are so toxic yeah. and there's the people that, you know, get in the car. I, I think of everything like horror movies, you know, you get in a car, you survived, you drive away. And then you have people that drive back and start getting other people and loading them up and driving away. And so, and both I think are valid responses, you know, like to never want to go back to it is fine, but and obviously some people jump in the car and go back. Right, yeah. Like, Hey, get in here with me. Right. Do the horror part, you know? Yeah. And, but I mean, I got to wonder like, what was it that, that flipped that switch to say like, okay, we're out of it. Things are better now. Yeah. You know, now let's talk about it and try to kind of raise some awareness about this. Honestly, I think it was uh, when I worked in Utah. So I went to a church in Utah. I got fired from a church um, the day before my oldest son was born. Same trend here of yeah. your career. It's crazy. Uh, day before my oldest son was born for no no reason at all, um, and it really hurt in a way. But I really saw the church when we got to Utah, just come around some folks that were hurting. And I was like, that's what it's supposed to be about. It's not about meeting our rules and looking like us and our standards and things like that. It's, it was really the church being the church and accepting us and loving us. And we're in Dagum, Utah, dude, we're 38 hours away from anybody we knew. Um, we had no family and they loved us. They loved us good. I'm like That's what it's all about. And I knew then like, I want to create a place where anybody can come from any walk of life and connect to life in Christ. And, uh, you know, honestly, the, the podcast came about because it was looking back at conversations that Nathan and I have had for years about this exact stuff that we're talking about right now. And like, man, there's nobody out here calling this stuff out. There's nobody out here that's helping people go from being stuck in the middle of it. And you're stuck. You live that you can't get out. You don't, it is a horror movie that's being replayed over and over and over again, but there is no escape car. You know, we're like, man, we need to get the car and be the car that helps them get out of that. And uh, I think that was, there, there really wasn't like a moment where it was like, we've got to do a podcast. You know, it was just looking back and seeing all of these moments that led us up to starting the podcast. Yeah, it, it was crazy because like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, like we, we started the same time. Like I, I literally, for me, it was seven years of saying, you know, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do a documentary. I'm going to do this. And, and, you know, my wife was like, do it or don't talk about it. Like, yeah. just, just do it. And so I was getting ready to launch. I saw you guys were starting and then it seemed like there was kind of this communal, like people all over the place were all starting this conversation at the same time. And what do you think it was? I mean, obviously we could say it's Providence that we all kind of started the same way, but I mean, John Calvin would know, but, but I mean, what, what do you think it is that kind of sparked that? Well, I know for, for me, I was driving to Texas. My wife was, lives in Paris, Texas, and we were on the road. I like to drive at night so my kids can sleep. I got six kids, 11 and under. So we give them a little Jack, a uh, little NyQuil and uh, we put them to sleep and say, uh, y'all go to sleep. I'm going to drive. And, uh, 
I, somebody sent me while I'm on that. I don't know who it was. Sent me a YouTube video of this Barry Goodman preaching and, and, and Tony Hudson's picking him up. And it's a bunch of guys just on stage, man. They're just going crazy. And they're like holding their arms up in the shape of an X. And I was like, what is this garbage? Like, what, what are they doing right here? And so I was, I listen to podcasts all the time. And so I was listening to it and I started typing in independent fundamental Baptist, nothing, IFB, nothing, uh, you know, former independent Baptist. Not, there was nothing. And I'm not joking with you. It was about, it was about one in the morning. I text Nate, Nathan Cravat, one of my hosts on the co-host on the podcast. And I said, Hey bro, can you talk? And he's like, yeah, call me. So everybody's asleep in my car. I'm, I'm listening to the podcast. It's so quiet in my car. I was like, I'm gonna wake everybody up, but it's all right. I called him. I was, I was so excited. I was like, dude, I just had an idea. He's like, what's up? And I was like, we need to do a podcast. We need to start a podcast that is about how we grew up independent fundamental Baptist, how we got out of it and help people. Cause you know that me and you've been having some conversations for a long time. Let's do this. He said, I'm in. I mean, he didn't even think about it. He's like, I'm in it, which I knew he would be my first call. Like me and Nate's been friends for a long time and we've become best friends through this podcast. I was like, this is, this is going to happen. Um, I called another guy named Drew. Drew's a good friend. Uh, he was in this, but, um, I had a little hesitation, but didn't think anything about it. And uh, we 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 met in uh, that was July. We met in August. Started thinking about some stuff, and then it set for the whole month of September. Nothing happened. No phone calls. No conversations. I could not get this thought out of my mind. Nate texted me. He was like, "Are we still doing this podcast?" I was like, "We need to do this." Um, September, nothing. November, November first. I remember Nathan called. He's like, let's meet, dude. We got to talk about this podcast. I said, let's meet you and Drew. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. Let's talk about it. So we get down to Chick-fil-A and uh, it, we left there. And I'll be honest, the podcast almost didn't happen out of, out of that Chick-fil-A because Drew's good, but he just didn't feel like he was ready to, he wasn't where Nate and I were at with wanting to, to do this. And I think there was still a, a feeling of we were going to be bashing um, the Independent Fundamental Baptist. And that wasn't our heart at all. It's never been our heart to bash Independent Fundamental Baptist. It's been to help. And uh, we left there. And I'll be honest, I was bummed. I was like, he's not bought in. And I was thinking in my brain, because I'm an Enneagram 7, I'm like really enthusiastic about stuff. And then it didn't happen. I was like, well, crap, what do we do now? And they called. He's like, I got this guy. His name's Brian Edwards. He's in Danville, Virginia. I really think you'd like him. I was like, okay, let's let's talk. But I'm kind of bummed that Drew's not doing it. I wasn't seeing the big picture. Thankfully, Nate didn't let off of it. We went down to Tennessee Temple University, the former campus. We're sitting there, and uh, I'll never forget that day. We were we were up there in the old coffee shop. We had a literal whiteboard. Like Nate brought a piece of paper, a whiteboard, like a legit whiteboard. I was like, we have computers but he brought it with markers and everything and there's a picture of it and we came up with our mission statement you know we came up with a vision we came up with like what we want to do in the first few episodes and we left there and he's like let's get on a call with brian and so we get on a zoom call that night or maybe it's a facetime call and it just clicked like from moment go and uh january 1st we got into the studio recorded our first episode, Brian came down and it just worked. And I was like, this is, this is chemistry. It's going to happen. And then we found out you were launching. We're like dirty dog. What's he doing, man? I'm kidding. Uh, we, we were kind of like you said, we were like, this is the same thing. Why are we 
this podcast. We've waited too long. We should have launched this back in, you know, in my brain. I'm like, oh, see, I knew we should have started earlier. But then when we really listened to like one of your episodes and listened to the premise behind why you were doing what you're doing, we're like, hey, we're two completely opposite podcasts going for the same goal. And, um, you know, Eric, I, I can't get past the fact that I think it is God's providence. I mean, it really is like it was supposed to happen. There's a historical context behind the podcast starting at at when it did. I really believe it's a, it's. Well, I mean, I mean, literally, people assume that we coordinated, that we were connected. People in the beginning, like who would reach out, would be like, you know, hey, you guys, to me, yeah. or hey, you know, can you cover this on the on the Dude, recovering front of me? And all together. And, I don't know them, but I'm sure they could yeah. cover it, you know, and it's a, it's really bizarre. I bringing you on, what, like our fourth, maybe yeah. fifth episode, more confusing. More confusing. They're like, wait a second, they're not together, but you well, know, and, and that's where you're tackling a subject that we want to stay uh, way far away from and yours isn't necessarily where we're at. And so it works. I think there's a, there was a, I just, I, I can't go, can't help but to say God had his hand all over it. You know, if we can use a Baptist term, I mean, he, he really did. And I think looking back now, I mean, if you would have told us a year ago, Eric, in January, that mean, you'd be sitting in Vegas at the New York, New York hotel at one o'clock in the morning, whatever it is, Vegas time. It's four o'clock our time. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd be sitting here talking. Yeah, I said you're crazy. You know, if you told me two hours ago while we're setting up, we'd have this conversation. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just see that it was just the right time. And how many emails that both of us have received over this last year of people that needed this. Could you imagine 2020 without recovering 20 minutes podcast and preacher boys doc, like the stuff that has been brought to light, the people that have gotten help. I just, it's a God thing. I can't get, I, I look, we are not professionals on the recovering fundamentalist podcast side. Like we are three dudes that talk into microphones and, we just have something we're, we're putting to words what a lot of people have been feeling for a long time. And I think you're exposing stuff that a lot of people have been wanting to expose. Why do you think it's taken? Because, I mean, I, I think about all the time I told my wife, I was like, I wish someone else would do this because there's part of me that was like, I just wish it was already there for me. You know, um, why do you think? it's been so long for this conversation to happen. I mean, I mean, stuff funnies like happened. I mean, there was big bursts of kind of just, but, but I never felt like it was focused, you know, it was just kind of broad memes or something, but like, why, why now? <laughs> you know, question a lot. Why Nathan, Brian, JC and Eric, you know, like why of all the people in this world, I remember sitting at Lee Robertson's funeral. Um, I was honored the last few years of Lee Robertson and Dr. Faulkner's life to drive them around. And, uh, it was, it, we didn't have a lot of conversations. They were, they were old, but Lee Robertson drove almost until he passed away. But the few last few months of his life, we, we drove it. I worked it in missions at Temple. And so driving him around and just seeing that. But I was sitting at his funeral at Highland Park Baptist Church. And I'll never forget listening to people around me and literally hearing people say, this is the end of fundamentalism. I heard a guy say that. And I, I remember sitting there as a, I can't remember what year he passed away, but I literally, and I've told Nathan and Brian this, I literally said, God, I want to bring change to this. Use me in a way that will help bring this, these people 
to see the truth of your word. And that's a prayer that we all pray. Every person sitting in Bible school prays. They want to make an impact. They want to do something. If you would have told me all these years later, a podcast would be what it is that is reaching people. Um, I just think, you know, it was, it was something that, you know, Brian, Nathan, myself, I'm sure you, we've always wanted to be agents of change. We've always wanted to be people that help other people. Um, and I just, I think God was just using our experiences. I say this a lot, but God's always at work. It's behind the scenes sometimes, but he's doing things we're completely unaware of. But one day we benefit from, and I believe now this past year has been the benefit of what we've lived through to get us to this point, because our four voices in two different ways has been a, a voice of, of crying out in the darkness, if you will, um, this last year. I mean, 2020 has been a crazy year. Honestly, stumbling through it too, like having conversations and, 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 you know, making mistakes and having, you know, it's a lot of, for me, sometimes I feel like I'm just having my private discovery moments out loud to, you know, and, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's huge that you talk about impact. Like that's something that even for me, you know, when I, when I left my missions organization, I was working with, you know, I was heartbroken. Cause I was like, man, I'm, I'm never gonna be able to speak on a stage again. I'm never going to have 200 people in a room that I can talk to and impact. And, you know, I told my wife, I was like, actually, she's brought it up more. She's like, now there's, you know, what, you know, 30,000 downloads of, of it's like, you know, it's like, well, I wish weekly, but you know, monthly, monthly, but, uh, but, uh, well, let's inflate the numbers. Why not? But, but, you know, but no, but she's like, you know, she's just kind of made it clear. Like, you know, you're, you're, I'm talking to way more people. Like while I'm asleep, people are downloading episodes and like, it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Our podcast was preached about at the sword of the Lord conference. I was jealous about that. (laughs) We didn't even know who we were a year ago. And now the more sermon content for these guys, like I've struggled a little bit with allergies. I'm allergic to uh, whatever's in the air right now. I'm allergic to my sister-in-law. I'm allergic to animals that shed. I'm allergic to uh, pollen. I'm allergic to uh, Calvinists. I'm allergic to recovering fundamentalists. (laughs) Say amen right there. I'm allergic uh, to uh, compromisers on and on and on I could go and the things that I'm allergic to. It's crazy to think. And I mean... It's like, it's, I think Nathan, maybe Brian said it. I think it was Nathan. He was like, you know, we'll never outlive this. These episodes will always be around. When we're dead and gone, this stuff that we've done this last year is always going to be here. This content will never go away. And so when we started the podcast, I'll be honest, there was a a line in the sand type moment where we're like, I'm never going to be invited back to speak at Faith Baptist Camp or some of these independent fundamental Baptist schools. And there's been family members that won't talk to us and, you know, friends that we've lost over it. But my gosh, we've been able to be a voice to thousands, literally thousands of people that we would have never spoken to. You know what I mean? That's that's crazy to think about. I, I wanna, I'm curious about this. So the Recovering Fundamentalist is an interesting name, you know. I mean, so obviously talking about, you know, recovering from that world. And, and one of the big kind of targets on your back from – those in that world is, you know, one, what are you recovering from, which you kind of hit on the legalism and all that. But also there's the other question always is floating is like, when are you recovered? You know? So, so there's a lot of people who sit there, they, they're going, you know, 
You guys are just sitting around, you're bitter, you're, you're yapping about all this stuff that happened. You know, what's the end goal of this? And, and I guess if I could, if I could ask you that question, like what's, is there a point at which you say, you know, we're recovered, this isn't something that's, you know, holding us back, you know, what is that moment? I, I think it's important to understand that we're not bitter. We're not being held back. Um, the name actually came to us at Mission Barbecue in Chattanooga. It was a rainy day. It sounds it's crazy. We're eating Mission Barbecue on a rainy day. And there we sat. And the name X-Fundy was what we were going to go with, like X-Fundy. And we're going to have the X-Fundy community. And I was like, dude, we could like give out authorized tokens for people that like AA, the whole thing. And, and then Nate's like, what about recovering fundamentalists? And I was like, holy crap, that's it, dude, recovering fundamentalists. And honestly, Brian says it well. He said, it takes a lot longer to get the fundamentalism out of you than it takes to get out of fundamentalism. We, our go-to is, and I'll be honest with you, there are still moments where my fallback is legalism. There are still moments where my go-to, because it's who I am fundamentally, is legalism. Um, And honestly, I don't think that, well, we fight against that. And I think when you're, recovering from something, even if you're a recovering alcoholic, you taste alcohol, you can follow. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's something that I've said a lot is like in, in my show, cause I, I deal with people who, I mean, have been severely hurt by my things in that world. And, you know, sometimes I see people go from fundamentalism over here to, you know, piano to, to, yeah, they swing over to this side and say, if you play piano and wear suits, like you're a loser, you know what I mean? And so I think we're all default fundamentalists, you know, yeah. like we, we tend to just resort to what we believe sure. is it, you know, and everyone else is wrong. If there are any other shade of this, whether, you know, for me, when I left the movement, it was anyone who plays, you know, you play piano at your church, like that's, that's yeah. dorky, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's just, I think that's kind of where the recovery side is, is like, we're constantly trying to stay sober yeah. from that fundamentalist mindset. I think for me, the name is accountability. We're not recovering from the fundamentals. I mean, my gosh, we say this all the time. We are, we are not recovering from the fundamental. We're still very fundamental in our beliefs. Like we believe the five fundamentals, like we believe in the Bible, you know, um, People think because we put that name that we're recovering from our faith. Not at all. If anything, being a recovering fundamentalist, my faith is stronger. Um, the name is accountability for me in a way because it reminds me where I've been. It reminds me of the legalistic mindset that I've had, uh, the judgmental spirit that I've had towards others. Um, and to see the, the freedom that comes from Living from acceptance, not for it. That's what it tells me a lot, that I don't have to live for man's approval. And honestly, that, that's been one of the hardest things in this past year is having haters. My gosh, there's a ton of them. And I'm like, 10 years ago, that would have killed me, dude, that there's people out there that make fake JC Graves and fake Twitter handles about me and stuff. And like, I'm like, now it doesn't really bother me that much, honestly. Why do you, why do you think there's so much like public you know, kind of lashing out. Cause, cause honestly, I mean, I, I expected it with what I was doing, you know what I mean? I expect, but then I, I look, I actually, I messaged, uh, I, it was, I had be sermon clips and I, I said, I'm jealous. I'm like, nobody's making accounts, you know, going after me. I was like, I feel like I'm, I'm getting left out. I'm not getting nicknamed, you know? Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, so why do you think there's such a, a big, why, why don't they just let it go? You know, it, because, cause honestly, to me, it, it seems like there's almost, 
they're almost chasing the clout that you guys get by by pursuing it. But why do you think there's such a public kind of flashback to this? You know, we, were, we were talking about this tonight at dinner. Nathan, Mike Peters, and Matt Dudley. and I, I wasn't invited to dinner, but that's fine. Sorry, dude. You can only sit four people at a table. Welcome to Vegas. That's why. Honestly, that's, that's exactly true. why. We'll go, to, we'll go eat after this. Nothing like we have Waffle House here. I have no idea. Oh, um, oh, I think a lot of the people, we were talking about this tonight. The reason that they give pushback is because they are really realizing that a lot of the stuff that they preach or necessarily stand up for, there's flaws in that, but they're struggling internally. And so the easiest go-to is just to mock it or to blast it or to make fun of it. Do you think, do you think the majority really believe what they're saying or do you think they like the power of it? Cause I look at, I look at a, a Bill Reeves and I'm like, man, I could see why he's threatened by losing people to it. But do you think that they're actually bought into it for the majority of the people that are freaking out about it? I think there are so many that are so bought into it. It, it is their identity. And if they left it, they would lose a lot of, there's a lot of evangelists that would lose a lot of money. Fact. And we're going to cut right there because this is where we literally got kicked out of the hotel, kicked to the street, kicked to the curb, lost some audio. And we're going to come back a few days later. We're going to pick up the conversation and wrap it up with JC Groves. Enjoy. Okay. So (laughs) we've recorded uh, this ending twice or three times, four times. Uh, We got kicked out of of our last spot and then we got moved to the curb and then we got kicked off the curb to the sidewalk. And then Nathan, who's not here, lost all of our audio. So we're going to keep this short and sweet. But um, I, I know you mentioned that you uh, are now a student pastor. And uh, obviously, my show deals a lot with abuse and yeah. physical sexual abuse, a lot of times with youth. Yeah. And um, so what are some of the practical things you're doing as a pastor to kind of put up safeguards with uh, the kids in your group? You know, Eric, I think a, a lot of those things is you've got to put yourself in some situations that are uh, you can't compromise on. You, you draw a line in the sand. Uh, you know, things that I've put in place, never alone with a student. I don't care if it's male or female. There's always an adult present. Um, I don't take students home in my car. I'm never, I, if I'm counseling a student, we're doing it out in a public place where there's other people visible. I'm never alone with a student. I, there's too many guys that have maybe not done anything wrong, but because of the scenario that they're in, it looks, and I don't want to give anybody the opportunity to even say one thing, who was it that said, you know, don't even, uh, who was it in scripture that said, don't give anybody a, a chance to have any ought against you right. kind of thing. I don't want to ever, as a good King James word, I don't want to ever put myself in a compromising position. No. Um, accountability is a huge thing. Um, and I think ultimately, you know, just keeping myself in a place where there's accountability. I have guys that will, you know, call me out every week. Um, how am I doing as a husband, as a dad, as a student pastor, you know? And I think if I'm keeping my mind in the right place, um, you know, that's it's when you get your eyes off of God that you start putting it on yourself. And I think a lot of these guys also is burnout. Uh, when you hit burnout, you stop doing what is right, and you start doing what is easy, and that's when things start creeping into your life. And so you, you've got non-negotiables. No, no, that's the word I started to do, non-negotiables. Don't put yourself in a, in a compromising position. If you don't do that, you're never going to be in a place where somebody can say, oh, well, he was with this yeah. student alone. Just don't freaking do it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's all there is to it. So. Yeah. And, and putting those same things, like for anybody you're working with, like I, I think what you mentioned, I mean, obviously – 
when it comes to burnout, a lot of times we do go the easy route. And so yeah. other, other volunteers, we don't vet them as well as we should. Oh, yeah. We don't ask those questions and it is, it, it's not something we want to even think about or talk about or right. bring up, but you have to have like those hard conversations with people. If you don't think about those things, it was like my dad used to always say back up. He used to always say when the opportunity presents itself, it's too late to prepare. Mm-hmm. I would rather be very over the top at the front end and not have to worry about somebody that was volunteering that was right. a predator. Right. We do background checks. We have con- contracts that they have to sign. Um, there are a lot of comp- like very, very. Uh, sorry, we've recorded a ton today. My brain is like fried right now. A lot of non-negotiable. Let me, let me start over. There's a lot of non-negotiables with our volunteers. Like there's background checks, obviously, but then there's just things that we talk about that they have to know. These are non-negotiables. You're not going to take a student home unless there's another adult present. You're not going to counsel a student. If there is a small group in your house, there's other adults that are there. We never put small group leaders at a home by themselves. We don't want to put ourselves or our leaders in compromising positions. Now, here's the other thing. You may have somebody that is a predator that a background check's not going to catch. That's why it's up to us to make sure that we are over the top with what our expectations are. And accountability at any moment, at any time. And if we question something, they've got to be ready to give an answer for that. Because ultimately, that comes back on us. And, I mean, I know youth pastors that have had people that have been in their student ministry that have gone down that road and it's on the youth pastor being lackadaisical if you will, big word, lackadaisical in the fact that they just let up on their leadership. It, everything rises and falls on leadership, you know what I mean? Right. And so we've got to make sure we're keeping our eye on that because ultimately it comes back to us. Well, I want to take just one level deeper on that too because you, you mentioned them while we were out and I'm just curious if you could expand on a little bit, but one thing that's really hard is youth pastors and student pastors want to connect on a deeper level yeah. with their student. Like that's, and, and it's a tricky spot because there's a fine line there between, 100%. you know, crossing those boundaries. So you want kids to be able to open up. You want to be able to talk about issues, mm-hmm. decisions, big life things. How do you build that, I guess, closeness or familiarity without crossing that, that yeah. boundary? I think accountability has to be a big place for us as youth pastors. Like, there's, it, it, you've just got to know the line. I mean, there's just a place where you are building trust. I want my students in my student ministry to trust me that they're going to talk, but they also have to understand that I'm on their parents' side the majority of the time. Um, if I'm talking to a student and their parent is involved, I'm letting that parent know, hey, here's what the conversation that we're having with your student is. Now, there are also some conversations that we are having with students that their parents may not know anything about. Then that conversation is where there's other leaders in there that we're going to be like, hey, ultimately, the parent, it's their job to raise them. It's not our job to turn their kid into Noah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so we have, to, we have to, there's a fine line you have to walk between being a cool student pastor that's just their BFF, and you're going at it and you know with, with life, and you're just living it, man. And when you cross the line of leader and friend, you're never getting back to where they yeah. respect you in that matter. If you keep those things where they know I'm your friend, but I'm I'm your pastor. There's that line there that, that you, you just can't cross those lines. And sadly enough, a lot of these guys that have crossed that line is because they've gone past that level of leadership and it's become friend. And then beyond that, um, I think you have to you have to make sure that you it ultimately comes back to your relationship with God. I mean, you know, that's how I keep my priorities in line and making sure that I'm focusing on the right things because 
we're all one decision away from stupid. Right. You know, every one of us. It's just what is the in place to keep you from that stupid. You've yeah. got to put guardrails up. If you don't put guardrails off, you're going off the cliff. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I want to end on one question. I know it's something that's been on everybody's mind. It's it's important. It's deeply, deeply important. Okay, it's well, something. It's something that for months I've just sat there and thought about. If I could sit JC in a room and I could ask him one thing, it would be this. Why are you so scared of Tommy McMurtry? <laughs> like, why, why don't you want to engage with Tommy? Oh, man, I'm not scared of Tommy. I just, I've been doing this for are a long sure? time. Yes, okay. I'm sure. I've been doing this for a long time. And there's just, I've wasted too much time on just pointless stuff. And I just don't, that, that conversation will never go anywhere productive. And so I just choose not to have it. Well, there you go. There it is. The answer that we've all wanted, for so, Tommy's wanted for so long. Is there anybody else you'd like to address before we wrap up? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for, for jumping on yeah. and, for, and for chatting. And for, I mean, we spent hours together now recording this episode. I want to say I'm glad that it's been four different locations and over the course of three days getting this episode out. Because you're a good man, Eric. Yeah. And I think what you're doing is very important. And um, you're bringing to light a lot of dark stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad that just know the guys in the RFB are rooting you on, and uh, we got your back. And uh, I really do think what you're doing is important, and uh, it's dark. So just know we're on your side if you ever need an outlet to communicate, because uh, you're doing a good work and you're helping a lot of people. A lot of people you're helping that will never say that you're helping them. Yeah. Uh, you're giving a voice to a lot of voiceless people, man. I'm, we're proud of you. We're on. We really genuinely are. So no, that's awesome. Yeah, and that's one thing. Meeting you guys, I was a little bit nervous. I was like. Are they going to be jerks? Are we going to be cool? Are we going to gel? And I feel like, no, and I feel like, you know, I feel like we all gelled really well. And it's been, it's been cool getting to, getting to know you guys. So I think this needs to happen more often. I agree. I know. know. We'll do an episode there in one location. So, but awesome. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.